0: well, thanks again for the invitation to speak. Um, This actually turns out to be a little bit of a complicated topic because we've had a lot of important new studies and publications in this area and I think some very salient negative trials that uh, should help uh, guide practice. So uh, in the course of this talk, uh, I'm gonna talk briefly about conventional chemotherapy, novel cytotoxic agents, angiogenesis inhibitors, DNA damage repair agents, talk a little bit how genomics is uh, guiding targeted therapy and then some of the novel monoclonal antibodies including bispecifics. So uh, I would be remiss without starting a talk about chemotherapy now that the FLOT regimen is really being embraced as the preoperative regimen for gastric cancer but uh, should this regimen be used for metastatic disease routinely uh, and I cite the study that uh, our German colleagues performed, Flot 65, which compared uh, five of you oxaloplatin versus Flot in patients 65 and older. And if we look at the outcome, uh, the response rate in this trial, specifically in older patients, and remember that most of the patients that we see with this disease are over the age of 60, uh, response rates favored uh, Flot over uh, 5-of-u-oxaliplatin, but there was no difference in progression-free survival and overall survival, and a much higher rate of toxicity for FLOT versus 5 of oxaliplatin And if we look at this graphically, again, patients over the age of 65 really no benefits in terms of progression-free or overall survival. So a doublet regimen really for most patients with metastatic disease should be the standard. Now this was reinforced, by I think, by an important study uh, presented by uh, my Japanese colleagues at ASCO, JCOG1013 also asked the question doublet versus triplet chemotherapy, and this was a randomized phase three trial of S1 and cisplatinum with or without docetaxel in advanced gastric cancer. And to cut to the chase, uh, this uh, study showed no survival benefit for uh, the addition of a taxane up front, and this uh, observation was made irrespective of histology, so that this was seen for intestinal and diffuse gastric cancer. So I think reinforcing that for the majority of patients with metastatic gastric cancer, doublet chemotherapy should be the preferred approach. What about novel cytotoxics? We had recent publication of the DREAM trial, which compared an oral taxane DHP107 versus IV paclitaxel in 236 patients. Very similar progression-free survival, uh, three versus 2.6 months, I'm not sure how you could declare this a non-inferior with a 236-patient sample size, but I'm not a statistician. Um, no difference in overall survival, similar response rates, but more GI toxicity for uh, the uh, DHP regimen, and here we see uh, the progression-free and overall survival curves. We just heard presentation for TAS-102 versus best supportive care, uh, trifluridine plus tipiracil, The primary endpoint of improved overall survival was met, so I think that TAS-102 will likely become a salvage late-line option. Another drug uh, in phase three is TAS-118. This combines S1 with leucovorin, and there's an ongoing randomized trial in Asia comparing TAS-118 plus oxaliplatin versus standard S1 cisplatin. So I, I borrow, now moving on to targeted agents, I borrowed this slide from Kohei Shataro who presented this at ASCO. Of 22 targeted agent trials in gastric cancer, only five uh, recent studies were positive, uh, including uh, uh three trials looking at angiogenesis agents, and nivolumab. So uh, we really are swimming in a sea of negative trials of recent uh, targeted agent therapy. So what about angiogenesis agents? This is an area that has uh, led, some, led to some progress. in second line, ramissurumab, which targets VEGFR2. Uh, we had a positive trial for ramissurumab versus best supportive care, which modestly improved survival. Second line, paclitaxel ramissurumab was superior to paclitaxel alone, not only improving survival but also response rate. Despite this, however, the first-line usage of uh, ramucirumab failed in the rainfall trial. Uh, we can see no survival difference for uh, giving ramucirumab up front combined uh, with capecitabine and cisplatin. And I think that was, this was alluded to earlier. Paclitaxel ramucirumab is the standard second-line option, and this really should be the key partner for second-line new drug development uh, also there was mentioned that Ramucirumab may have biomodulatory effects on the tumor microenvironment possibly impacting on T regulatory cells and Ramucirumab may also modulate the impact of DNA damaging agents and trials including Ramucirumab with or without paclitaxel with checkpoint inhibitors PARP inhibitors and other agents are in early uh, phase 1 and 2 development. What about tyrosine kinase inhibitors we have positive data for apatinib from, uh, this is a VEGF, uh, R-tyrosine kinase inhibitor, third or later line versus best, versus best supportive care. The Chinese trial showed improved survival for apatinib versus best supportive care, and there, there is now an ongoing trial in the West studying this agent versus best supportive care. For regorafenib, which is a VEGFR, as well as a multi-targeted tyrosine kinase inhibitor, second or later line, in a randomized phase two trial versus best supportive care, there was a suggestion of improved progression-free survival with this agent, and a trend towards uh, improved overall survival. So this drug is now uh, being studied in phase three in a larger randomized trial versus best supportive care. And again, because of the potential biomodulatory effects of angiogenesis drugs, um, uh, these agents are being combined with anti PD1 and PDL1 uh, agents. So, moving on to DNA damaging agents, we got a very promising signal from the initial randomized phase two of paclitaxel plus or minus a laparib, uh, which showed improvement in overall survival, particularly in ATM negative patients, which may be a biomarker of sensitivity. However, the larger phase three GOLD trial, 525 patients, paclitaxel, plus or minus rib, 100 milligram BID. This also randomized 94 ATM negative patients. No difference in overall survival uh, or progression-free survival for the addition of rib. And this was a negative trial both in all comers and the ATM negative patients. Uh, we could criticize this trial because I think they were setting a very high bar. They were looking for a five-month improvement in overall survival. Some would say perhaps the elaparib was underdosed, and whether or not we should factor in p53 status that may be also a biomarker of sensitivity to these drugs. We're not giving up on PARP inhibitors. Uh, we're now combining these drugs uh, possibly with a better combination of ramucirumab, paclitaxel and also uh, potentially uh, anti-PD-1 and pdl one drugs, which may enhance uh, mutational burden issues and sensitivity to the drug. What about stem cell pathways? Uh, recent negative data for napobucosin. This was presented at ASCO a few weeks ago. BBI-608 is a small molecule that inhibits STAT-3, beta-catenin, and nan This may inhibit stemness. However, the Phase three trial, Brighter, looked at paclitaxel with or without BBI-608 in 700 patients. This was actually stopped early after the first 380 events indicated futility with no difference in PFS and OS. Uh, there is interest, however, still in this drug, beta-catenin, which may be targeted by this drug. Activation of beta-catenin may reduce T-cell infiltration. So there is still interest in combining this agent with PD-1 and PD-L1 drugs, And this is just the negative uh, data for combination with paclitaxel uh, looking at PFS and uh, and OS. And no improvement in response rate. So can uh, genomic data guide uh, our um, uh, research? Uh, The TCGA, this is one of the early uh, publications from the TCGA group in the U.S., and what they observed was amplified genes are common. It's probably more that gene amplification drives the bus more than gene mutation in up to 40% of esophagogastric adenocarcinomas, targetable mutations like EGFR, HER2, MET, and FGF. However, uh, our clinical um, experience has been mixed. Uh, The EGFR trials have universally failed. The MET trials failed, even in potentially biomarker-enriched population, and the results with HER2 are at best mixed. The FGF uh, uh, studies are ongoing. So how does the TCGA, TCGA data potentially direct treatment? Well, in the common genomically unstable tumors, these are the candidates for receptor-associated tyrosine kinase therapy, but again, to date, the only success is HER2. MSI high patients clearly candidates for checkpoint inhibitors, genomically stable tumors without a clearly targetable mutation, and then the EBV uh, patients may also be candidates for immune checkpoint inhibitor therapies. So HER2 uh, targeting uh, uh, gastric cancer, clearly gastric cancer is not breast cancer. Trastuzumab did succeed first line uh, in combination with kepsitabine and cisplatin with an improvement in survival, particularly in high expressors. However, other agents, uh, lapatinib combined with first line chemotherapy failed, no difference in overall survival. And even pertuzumab surprisingly failed in combination with upfront trastuzumab cisplatin in 780 patients with uh, this just missing significance. So we obviously await the subset analysis report of uh, pertuzumab to see whether we can identify subsets of patients that may benefit. Second line, uh, we've had a lot of disappointing results. Uh, trastuzumab, Mtansine, which arguably is a better drug than trastuzumab, was no better than a taxane alone in 345 patients, and you can see no survival difference for this drug compared to Paclitaxel. Another important negative trial from ASCO a few weeks ago, the TAC trial from Japan. This was a randomized phase 2 trial. One of the first studies to really address in a randomized trial whether patients progressing on trastuzumab would benefit from continuing trastuzumab into second-line treatment. In this randomized trial of paclitaxel with or without trastuzumab, primary, uh, PFS was the primary endpoint. You can see no improvement in PFS and no improvement in overall survival. So I think uh, really compelling evidence now that we should not continue uh, uh, trastuzumab into second-line treatment. So it's clear that uh, not everybody responds to trastuzumab. And once exposed, there are both mechanisms of de novo upfront resistance to trastuzumab as well as acquired resistance to trastuzumab. So we've gotten some insight from upfront resistance. Uh, These are data from the TCGA project. Uh, Adam Bass's lab looked at 42 uh, HER2-amplified untreated primary tumors, 55% had concurrent other genomic event amplification, so potentially other pathways that might lead to resistance to upfront HER2 therapy, including cell cycle amplification or abnormalities in 41%, PI3 kinase abnormalities in 12%, and other receptor-associated tyrosine kinase pathways in 14%. And these are all potentially targetable pathways that might potentially overcome resistance to upfront HER2-targeted therapy. So what about acquired resistance? Uh, These are data from uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering using our impact panel. We obtained biopsies of 44 patients post exposure to trastuzumab and we had 23 paired pre and post trastuzumab biopsies. At progression on trastuzumab, 16% lost HER2 expression. So a significant percentage of patients actually lose their HER2 overexpression and again we saw imp- increased amplification or mutation in potential resistance pathways or crosstalk pathways like EGFR, IGF1R and MET and also increased amplification of SMAD, KRAS, PI3 kinase, P10 and mTOR. If we look at the pre and post matched biopsies, you can see again an acquisition of a number of abnormalities in resistant patients again including the most common sites SMAD4, MET uh, KRAS, uh, CDK, ERB-4, uh, and IGF-1R. So potential plausible mechanisms for resistance that might be targeted in future studies. So just moving on, uh, what uh, we talked about uh, HER2. EGFR, unfortunately, trials conducted with no biomarker selection of patients. Uh, a series of negative trials, Panitumumab and cetuximab added to chemotherapy did not improve outcome. Recently, nematuzumab in second line did not improve outcome, and gefitinib versus best supportive care was also a negative trial. There may be a suggestion in the biomarker analysis uh, report that EGFR amplification or copy number may be a predictive biomarker in a small number of patients, but that really needs to be validated in other data sets. inhibitors. I'm only going to comment on the negativity. Promising phase two signals led to negative phase three trials, even in patients enriched, for immunohistochemistry overexpression of MET. The RILAMET trial adding uh, rilatumumab to chemotherapy did not improve survival. Onertuzumab added to chemotherapy also did not improve survival. So whether or not uh, we will consider uh, other biomarkers like uh, gene amplification of MET remains an open question. FGFR is a work in progress, but what's the biomarker that we need to use to select for FGFR targeted drugs. Should it be gene amplification or copy number? uh, One of the more promising, at least in other diseases, gene rearrangement or fusions may be a strong predictive biomarker of sensitivity to these drugs and potentially activating mutations. The results with agents to date are mixed. AZD4547, which is an RTK inhibitor, has had mixed results in uh, small phase two trials. One report from the UK that looked at amplified patients reported three responses in nine patients, but then a randomized uh, phase two trial, a very small study looking at the same drug, AZD4547 versus paclitaxel in 71 patients, showed um, uh, no uh, improvement in PFS for AZD versus paclitaxel, and even in the small number of patients that were FGFR amplified, PFS was only 1.5 versus 2.3 months for paclitaxel. Another FGFR drug is now in phase 3, bemartuzumab. This inhibits ligand binding and may also enhance uh, ADCC, uh, so it may be an immune recruiter as well as a ligand blocker, a 19% response rate in a phase 1. So there's now an ongoing phase 3 trial uh, combining this drug with uh, Folfox. So, I'm a lot of ground to cover. Uh, another exciting new target is Claudin 18.2. This is a gap junction protein that's commonly overexpressed in the majority of gastric uh, cancers. Uh, the FAST trial was a study conducted in Europe, uh, adding this drug to EOX chemotherapy. And uh, the initial efficacy data looked very promising, suggesting improvement in overall survival. Combining uh, uh, the uh, drug that targets this, IMAB362, uh, with uh, uh, compared to chemotherapy alone, and a particular survival benefit in high expressors of the Claudin protein. So, based on these data, a phase three trial will be opening globally, combining this drug with uh, fluorinated pyrimidine and oxaloplatin based chemotherapy. What about MMP9? This is a matrix metalloproteinase. GS5745 targets this. A phase one trial showed uh, PFS uh, and encouraging response data. So there's an ongoing trial combining uh, the MMP9 inhibitor with Folfox. Then lastly, what about these novel monoclonal antibodies? Uh, I can only mention a few. Marjituximab, which targets HER2. This is an engineered uh, HER2 antibody, which may have an optimized FC domain to increase immune cell recruitment And there's an ongoing trial of margituximab with pembrolizumab. Another very promising conjugate drug is DS8201, which also targets HER2. This is trastuzumab conjugated to a topo-1 inhibitor, a very encouraging response rate of 43% in the phase 2. And now there's a randomized phase 2 trial of paclitaxel or arenatecan versus DS8201 in second-line treatment of HER2-positive patients. And then uh, the conjugate antibodies targeting CEA, as well as immune recruitment. Uh, There's ongoing uh, evaluation of this particular bispecific antibody with a tezolizumab. So I had a lot of ground to cover, but I think some important data have emerged from recent uh, uh, meetings and publications. I think two drug regimens are the preferred first line of therapy, and this is emphasized again by the recent JCOG study presented at ASCO. Novel cytotoxics, TAS 102, will likely get approval in refractory gastric cancer. If we look at angiogenesis agents, ramucirumab and Paclitaxel probably should be the backbone for second line therapy trials, and active investigation with immune checkpoint inhibitors and PARP inhibitors is ongoing. The tyrosine kinase inhibitors, Apatinib and regorafenib, also appear to have activity and will be uh, evaluated in phase three trials as well as novel combinations. The genomics uh, has helped us identify receptor-associated tyrosine kinase-amplified pathways as as well as MSI high tumors. In the HER2 realm, I think the key take-home from this talk is that we should not continue trastuzumab into second-line treatment. We have a randomized trial now showing no benefit, and that resistance to HER2 may occur from loss of HER2 expression as well as amplification and development of escape pathways. FGFR inhibitors are in phase three, as well as the matrix metalloproteinase inhibitors, imab 362 uh, and we await uh, results of ongoing and hopefully about to open studies. And very exciting are the novel conjugate and bispecific antibodies, which are in f- uh, early uh, drug development. Thanks very much.